Hello, and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast. I'm Logan Finney. This week, I'm joined by Jeff Broody, who's Interim Executive Director of the Idaho Judicial Council, to discuss judicial elections that some Idahoans will be seeing on this year's general election ballot. Uh, Broody was appointed by Governor Dirk Kempthorne as a district judge in 2001 for the 2nd Judicial District, Chambered in Lewiston, and he was appointed to serve on the Judicial Council in March of 2018 uh, and retired from the judiciary as a judge in December of 2021 and became interim executive director of the council on the first of this year, January 2022. Jeff, thanks for joining me. Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, so to get things started here, can you introduce yourself to me and tell me a little bit about your work as a judge and your work on the Judicial Council? I'm pretty much Idaho raised and educated. I'm twice over graduate of the University of Idaho, both from the College of Engineering and the College of Law. I was a practicing attorney for about 17 years before I was appointed by Governor Kim Thorne back in 2001. Uh, the judge before me had uh, completed 20 years of service. He retired in the middle of his term. And so I was fortunate enough to be appointed by the governor uh, to fulfill that office and fill the rest of that term out. And then I subsequently served as a district judge here in the second district for about 20 and a half years before I retired. I had interest in the Judicial Council and pursued the Judicial Council position, the district judge position on the Judicial Council on a couple of prior occasions. Um, it was available again in 2018. And so I made my application to the State Bar Commissioners who then uh, nominated me for that position, subsequently went before the Senate for confirmation. And so I served as the district judge member of the Judicial Council from 2018 until I had to leave that with my retirement. My retirement matched up with the retirement of the former executive director of the Judicial Council, Tony Cantrell. Um, there was some ongoing discussion as to what the executive director position was going to consist of at that point in time. So I made the offer that as long as that was up in the air and subject to discussion that perhaps they should just let me do it on an interim basis until those decisions were made. So through the course of this year, I've been serving as the executive director of the council. All right. And I think when the when the typical person thinks of a judge in a courtroom, they're not thinking of an elected official. They're thinking of someone who's been appointed to that role or has been an attorney for a long time. So can you explain to me maybe just the rationale behind electing judges in the first place? Well, the judges are to be elected in the state of Idaho is, con is actually a constitutional provision. Um, it doesn't specify what kind of election or anything like that. It just says they shall be elected. Um, many judges, such as I did, were, were filling a vacancy. A judge had retired in the middle of their term, so there has to be some ability to fill those vacancies. And so in that situation, there is somebody that is appointed to fill that vacant term, and then eventually you stand for election. All district judges in the state of Iowa run at the same time. It is normally in the primary election in non-presidential years. So 2022 was an election year for all of the eligible district judges in the state of Idaho. So after I was appointed in 2001, I faced election in 2002. That was the first of five elections that I faced uh, during my career. 
And it's a similar situation if that is how you come to the bench, is that you may be appointed by the governor initially, but then you face election thereafter. District judges can, of course, be challenged. Every election cycle, there are usually a couple of challenges to district judges. There were a couple of them this spring. Um, other judges are simply filling out their term before they retire. So there were a couple of people elected to replace retiring judges this spring. Um, for those district judges who go through that process, we had one open position. There will be one district judge election on the ballot next month, and that will be here in the second district where I reside. Uh, three individuals had run in the primary election back in May to replace that judge. In order to win that primary, you have to get more than 50%. With three, that's kind of difficult. So the top two from that primary election in May are now facing off in the general election next month. The other judicial elections that will occur on the ballot next month is for a number of magistrates. Magistrate judges, I think we're about 101 in the state of Idaho right now. I'm not sure exactly how many magistrates are appearing on the ballot um, this year. Some magistrates will appear every two years on a ballot. And those elections for magistrates run in November. And they are simply on the ballot with a question as to whether that person shall be retained as a magistrate judge. So they uh, are subject to what we call a retention election, while district judges and appellate court judges actually have terms where they can be challenged and have a true, more what we think of as a traditional kind of election for those positions. Sure. So if someone is, uh, wants to become a judge, they could run for a district judge position, whereas when it comes to the magistrates, that's someone who's already in the judge position and the ballot measure is just whether they should keep that job? Correct. Uh, magistrates are appointed in all circumstances by their local magistrate commissions. Each of the seven districts in Idaho have a magistrate commission that consists of county commissioners, usually a couple of mayors, a couple of citizens, two attorneys, a currently sitting magistrate, and the administrative judge for that district. When a magistrate opening occurs, they will solicit applications for that position. You, of course, have to be a lawyer. You have to have practiced for at least five years. They then, if there are sufficient applicants, they may narrow the field to who they want to interview. Some situations, you may interview everybody. Then the magistrate's uh, commission selects that individual. The magistrate appointed then has an 18-month probation term, whereby uh, the bar is usually surveyed toward the end of that 18-month term to see how that judge is performing. You ask people who work with the judge, people who are in the court frequently, court staff, attorneys, things of that nature. To provide feedback on that judge, that then goes back to the magistrate commission who decides if that person gets off probation and gets to keep their job. If so, then they will start to appear on that November ballot for retention elections after that. And how common or uncommon is it in Idaho, if you know, uh, for someone to lose a retention election like that? Are there any well-known cases of that happening? 
probably not well known uh, during the time that I've been a lawyer and a judge, and that goes back to 1984. I can think of a couple of occasions um, where a judge lost a retention election. I know there was one, and they tend to happen in smaller communities. So uh, there was one I know in Benoit County many years ago that in my district in Orfino in Clearwater County, a judge also lost a retention election. So it's not unheard of, but it's rare. And the job duties of being a judge are quite different from the duties of being a different type of elected official, like a county commissioner or a state lawmaker. When a judicial candidate is running for office, what sort of challenges do they face in what they can and can't say and how they can and can't campaign? Well, it's quite awkward for district judges. I went, I one of my five elections, I was challenged. That was back in 2014, which also coincidentally was the first occasion on which the Republican Party had closed their primary. So um, it is awkward because of the timing, and it is awkward because of the nature of the job. Judges appear on that primary ballot on what's called the nonpartisan ballot, and yet it's being run, of course, in May at the height of partisanship when parties are deciding on their candidates. And so it is very awkward to be out trying to talk to people at that very partisan time and explain to them how your position is nonpartisan. Uh, by definition and by law, it is nonpartisan, so you are not running as either a Democrat or a Republican. Uh, but you're out there trying to engage with a populace that is very interested in your politics. And as a judge, you're not supposed to have any. You're not taking office with an agenda other than to serve the public in a very important role and make decisions under the law that is established by other people. That is, the legislature decides what the laws are. The Idaho Supreme Court is the one responsible for interpreting those laws and getting district judges and magistrates to apply those. Uh, so it, it is very difficult for you to talk about really what you do because you can't talk about your past cases. Basically, whatever decision you've made on your past cases, the only thing you can say is whatever you've said in the courtroom on the record. You can't make further comment in the media or publicly about those. You certainly can't talk about any cases that are currently before you, nor can you talk about future cases and what you may do in those things. So you're very limited in what you can talk about other than your qualifications, your experience, your desire to serve in a public service position, and hopefully why you're somebody that we want and need in that position. So that can make things difficult for a judge having to keep their cards close to the vest. Do you see that as a good thing for the judicial system? Where, for example, in other states like Texas, those elected judicial positions are partisan. Do you think that the nonpartisan system here in Idaho helps the judicial system? I certainly believe it does. Um, as I say, you're not you're not supposed to be on the bench with an agenda. You want to be a politician, by all means, go be a politician and make 
policy and pass laws, uh, but that's not what the judiciary is there for. And so I think the nonpartisan uh, is a good way for um, us to go. And I think it is certainly preferable to those partisan states that truly run on a party basis and are therefore putting forth those agenda items that I don't necessarily think serve the public very well from a judicial perspective. Are there any special considerations with campaign finances that judges have to uh, take into account? Yes, and that's another very awkward thing. Um, when it comes time, especially if, when you have a contested election, that's probably the first thing that a judge decides is, am I going to try to self-finance this or am I going to raise money? Because judicial canons do allow you to raise money. Uh, the one proviso is that you as the judge can't know who contributes to your campaign. So you can't ask for money. You have to establish by our rules a committee that then goes and tries to raise those funds for you. And you have to be completely separate. You'll go to your campaign meetings. And when it gets time to talk about any campaign contributions, you have to leave the room while the rest of your committee discusses that because you can't know who is making those contributions to you. And that's and that's because it could possibly sway a judge's decision down the line, right? Certainly. Um, you don't want that to be a complicating factor, and you want to be able to assure the public that that is not a factor in the judge's determination because the judge simply doesn't know who may or may not have supported their candidacy. And so when Idahoans do see these elections on their ballot, whether it's for replacing a district judge like up in your neck of the woods or retention votes for magistrates uh, across the state, how can a regular Idahoan who's looking at their ballot find out more about these judicial candidates when uh, the judges themselves aren't really supposed to be out campaigning like a normal politician? Well, you can find your way to court one way or the other. You can get charged with a crime and that will get you in front of a judge. Um, <laughs> not recommended. Uh, you can get involved in civil litigation. Again, if you have a choice, not recommended. Uh, knowledge about judges' background is really pretty limited. Everything a judge does is public. If you want to go watch a judge work, pretty much everything they do in a courtroom is public and it's available for the public to go watch people work and see how they do their job. Uh, in kind of in recognition of that, there was there has been established and there's a long history in Idaho of a of a bar survey, which was anytime there is a contested election, such as four district judges or appellate court positions, the bar does do a survey, which is because most people who go to court generally only have one case there so they're not there a lot the people who are there a lot are lawyers who are representing a lot of people have a lot of cases in court in front of a lot of different different judges and so whenever there is a contested election the bar does do a survey of those primarily addressed to the bar but the public also can have input in those bar surveys as well but it's asking 
people's opinion as to the candidate's intelligence, experience, their temperament, their work ethic, their ability to be fair-minded. And so, for instance, for the contested election taking place in the second district, there was a survey that was done in the spring before the primary and the results of that bar survey for the two candidates are still out there and available for people to review. But that's only for, they're only done in contested elections and contested elections are pretty rare. So for the uh, remaining people, those district judges who are running unopposed this spring, I can tell you, if you don't have an, you do not have an opponent, you don't set up a campaign website and you don't invest a lot of money in what would be termed a traditional campaign. So there isn't a lot of information out there when you're unopposed. And the same situation kind of exists for a magistrate. They got their position through appointment by their magistrate commission. So that's really all that you know is that they graduated from a law school, they passed the bar, and they served as a lawyer for at least five years before they were appointed to the bench. Beyond that, it's, you know, if you're interested and you know someone who's an elected official in that particular county or somebody who works in the courthouse, you can certainly make inquiry of those people. Um, people who have been to court oftentimes have uh, opinions about the judges that they've appeared in front of, and we'll be happy to let you know that opinion, uh, perchance, if that comes up in conversation. Other than that, um, one of the things about being a judge, it's generally the culmination of your career and you stop doing a resume after that because you don't think you're pursuing other jobs because you're where you want to be. So judges certainly can maintain some kind of public position as to their history and their background. Most judges who are just going through something like a retention election do not do that. So there really is not a lot of information out there on the magistrates. We recognize that. With how rare it is for these races to be contested at the district level or for a magistrate to lose their position uh, in a retention election, do you think that that um, is a negative sign for our democracy, that there's not a lot of electoral competition here? Or does that more indicate to you that the judges that do get selected for appointment are thoroughly vetted and doing a good job? Well, I think it's the latter. I mean, everybody that takes the bench has an idea what the job is, and then they realize that their idea is not nearly as much as what the job is. And so you spend a couple of years just learning all aspects of your job and being comfortable doing it. I don't think judges' positions are somewhere where you want a great deal of turnover. Attorneys who become judges view that as a career step and hopefully the last step that they take. People are not looking to go do become a judge for a while. They want to do that for the rest of their career. And quite often, of course, you're asking them to give up everything that they've done professionally to that time. At the point in time when you leave a private practice that you've built over the course of years, potentially close down your office, give up your clientele, quite often take a pay cut in order to become a judge, there is, I think, a great deal of service in having experienced judges continue in those positions for a substantial period of time. 
I think the longevity of judges in both magistrate and district judge is kind of a testament to how hard magistrate commissions, judicial council, and governors work to find the right people for those positions. But then if a judge does make a decision that the community disagrees with and gets the community's hackles up, um, it, it is possible that if a judge was out of touch and making poor decisions, they could be removed on the ballot. That is one of the perils of being a judge. You are not there to make popular decisions. You are there to make correct legal decisions. And sometimes they are going to be different from what someone thinks should be done. They may very well be legally required, but they will not be popular positions. And that's one of the things that you as a judge have to understand when you take the position is those situations will come up or you're going to be subject to popular criticism, even though you may be exactly right under the law. All right. Jeff Brudy, Interim Executive Director of the Idaho Judicial Council. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Marcia Franklin, the producer and host of Dialogue. For more than 25 years, we've been bringing you conversations that matter. More than 150 of those conversations are with writers, and now you can take them with you wherever you go, while you're walking, around the house, or in the car. Just search for Dialogue with Marsha Franklin on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms, and remember to subscribe so that new shows download automatically. Enjoy.